have noticed that our kids are leaving. Hey, kids, we love you guys, praying for you. Thanks, Edwina. I always love seeing our kids gathering around the altar, praying, learning what it means to be a part of the, of the whole church. I just love seeing our kids here this morning. You know, I, I grew up in a church, and m many of you did too, perhaps. Um, we didn't have junior church, and, and uh, truthfully, truthfully, I am all for junior church. Let me, let me just say that. But I grew up going to a church that um, I sat with my family, and my parents sat over on this aisle. My mom was the piano player, and, and um, my dad ran the sound system sometimes, and, and I remember sitting with my parents watching my dad pull out of his wallet his offering. I remember watching my mom finding the scripture that Pastor Garrett was preaching on, and I learned what that meant. I remember the thunk on my head from my dad's finger. <laughs> Ever got thunked on the head with, from your dad when you talk too much in church? That was my discipleship. <laughs> but I just, I loved going to church with my family and watching, watching all of the, the, the older people in the church teach me what it me meant to testify, how to pray. I, I, I still remember some of the testimonies of, we had a sweet old lady, she sat towards the front, and I, boy, I, w I wished I, I could remember her name. Her house sat right across the stairs of the, of the church. And her husband, uh, had not accepted Christ, and almost every Wednesday night during prayer time, she asked us to pray for her husband. I think I only met her husband once in my entire life, and that was just because uh, we visited her uh, in her home. But I, I remember every Wednesday night her asking us to pray for the salvation of her husband, and we did, and wouldn't you, and she was in her 80s, and wouldn't you know it, the week before he passed away, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. It just taught me a lesson about what it meant to have the church pray. And I wouldn't have received all those lessons if I was somewhere else. And so I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but I, I'm just so excited that our kids are able to, to be with us. Well... We stopped our series on Elijah and Elisha, and I hope that, that, that whetted your whistle uh, to go back to those stories and learn more and more about the Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. But I'm, I'm actually in Isaiah 55 today. Uh, our, our scripture lesson uh, is there in Isaiah 55, but to understand understand this passage, we have to have a bit of a history lesson, if that's okay. After David and Solomon's reign, uh, Israel split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Now, during that time, just like here in the United States, we have some good presidents, we have some not so good presidents, same thing happened there were some good kings who were godly, 
uh, but most were not godly kings. They allowed idolatry and injustice and sin reign in their kingdoms. A day came when Babylon, which is mostly the current day Iraq, they came in, they destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, tore down the walls, killed thousands of people, but they then gathered up tens of thousands of God's people and forced them into exile, took them back to Babylon, and they remained there for decades. This was during the day of Daniel, which is one of the Bible studies that we're doing on Wednesday nights. But so that was during the time of Daniel. But Jeremiah was a, let's, can we call him a pastor? He was a leader of God's people during that day. Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah in the Bible as well as Lamentations. Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah, stayed back in Jerusalem. He did not get carried away and he was caring for God's remnant. A remnant is a part of it is a, a, a small sampling of the whole, right? So there was a remnant of God's Jewish people that did not get carried away to the enemy Babylon, but they were made in Jerusalem and Pastor Jeremiah stayed to care for that remnant. And he hears the cries of those in exile. He's been receiving word. He's probably, he probably got some email, right, that, that God's people were hurting. They, they've probably sent some sort of letter or messenger, and he has heard the challenges that they're going through. But he has heard from God that they will escape, but it will not be soon. Can you imagine Pastor Jeremiah receiving that word from God. They will find freedom, but it won't be soon. So in, Jer in Jeremiah chapter 29, he writes a letter to the church. Can I call it the church in exile? He writes a letter to those who have been carried off, who are living with the enemy at this moment. And this is what Pastor Jeremiah says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in numbers there do not decrease. So in the letter, he goes on to say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Remember this passage? Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Does it put that passage in context now for you? 
Pastor Jeremiah had heard the painful cry of God's people and knew that it might be a long time before they could see their own country again. Remember he said plant gardens? That's a few months worth of time, right? You plant seeds, you watch it grow, and then you might have some tomatoes, right? That's a few months. But then he says, marry, get married, have children. That's a few more decades. And then, oh, let your children get married and let them have children. That's several more decades. Jeremiah began to recognize that it wasn't going to be a few weeks or months or even a few years. It wasn't even going to be a few more decades. It was going to be many, many decades that he would not be able to see his friends and they would not be able to see Jerusalem again. But that did not diminish God's power even the least. It did not decrease God's ability to be glorified in the face of destruction and disappointment. That's the context in which we read Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah 55 was specifically written to those in exile. These were the exiles who questioned whether they would ever see their homes again. They wondered if the arm of God was perhaps not strong enough to redeem them. They questioned the covenant that he had promised them it had not yet been fulfilled, and now they were in the enemy's hands. Can you imagine? They doubted whether the promises of God for freedom would ever come true. And Isaiah had already told them in his letters, starting in chapter 40, he said, listen, friends, God will come back with power chapter 40. He will bring judgment on the earth, chapter 41. He will make the barren land rich, chapter 41. The Lord will triumph over his enemies, chapter 42. The Savior will bring Israel back from captivity to the promised land, chapter 43. The Lord will comfort Israel and bring her joy, chapter 43. And then in chapter 53 of Isaiah, we love this passage, Isaiah tells them that the Messiah would come back and make all things right again. So for 15 chapters, Isaiah does his best to remind the exiles that God is still in charge even when things seem hopeless. So here in chapter 55, God comforts a people 
whose carefully planned lives have been obliterated. A people who wondered how they could sing God's song in a strange land. So listen, listen to the good news that Isaiah is telling these hurting people. Could I ask you to stand in their sandals as you stand this morning? Please stand as I read this passage. You cannot listen to this with your American ears. You must listen as exiles, okay? Stand in new sandals this morning. Friends, listen. What I'm about to read to you is God's anointed, inspired word. Here, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds to the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You, O exiled people, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The political and social and religious climate of the location of each congregation has a tremendous effect on how we all read a text, hear it, and interpret it. While we sat right here in a, an air-conditioned church that sets in a land that provides freedom of religion and worship, it may allow us to take this passage out of context more easily. That's why it is so important, Bible students, to study to find the culture that it was written uh, to, making sure that you understand the context, the story, the geography, the economy, who was writing it, that's so important. But can you imagine if this morning, if we were sitting in one of the very few Iranian Christian congregations this morning, 
and there are a few. And if the pastor read that passage, would they perhaps more easily understand the plight of the exiled people of God? What if we were a Somali Christian exile hiding in a Muslim area of Ethiopia? How would you interpret these words of Isaiah? So put on the sandals, put on the shawl of an exiled Israelite this morning. Remember, they were forcibly taken out of their own country in chains. They were made to live and raise their children in a foreign land that did not allow the worship of the one true God very easily, at least. They were made to listen to false teaching, be constantly around idol worship, listening to a different language, different way of life. That's the exile's plight at this moment. These are the ears that I want you to put on this morning because that is who this passage was written to, the believer in exile. It was written to a people whose dreams of religious freedom was obliterated. They had been kidnapped, forced into slave labor, forced to learn a new language, serve false idols, taught a new culture, and Babylon did this on purpose because they did not want the Israelites to continue to serve the one true God. The people in Isaiah's day were truly asking the question, has God abandoned us? Is God simply not strong enough to save us? I'm just wondering, have you ever asked a question similar to that? Have you ever had a dream that did not come true and perhaps maybe you thought God wasn't strong enough to make it fulfilled? Maybe there was a perfect relationship that broke and maybe you thought God had just left you and didn't care. Maybe you saw a life taken way too early and you wondered, where was God in that mess? Maybe there was a promise that you knew came from God, but yet it had yet to be fulfilled. And perhaps you asked the question as the exiles did, is God's arm too short? If so, I'm, I'm sure you have asked these types of questions that they asked. Has God abandoned us? Is God simply not strong enough to save us? This morning, I'd like for you to hear what God says to his people in the middle of pain. In this passage, he says, my word is powerful and life-giving. That's what he is saying in verses 10 and 11. I can just imagine God 
pulling all of God's children together and saying, I've got an object lesson, and he puts it in their language. And he's like, come on, kids, gather together. Listen, sit down and be quiet. Let me have your attention. You know how it works. You have seen the rain and the snow fall from heaven. They saturate the earth and cause the earth to, to bear grain and sprout seed for the sower, and that provides food for, for us to eat. In other words, you have seen how I provide for, for present and for future abundance. Right, kids? And then he says, that is how my word is as well. I do not speak without reason. And my word does not go out and come back empty because, listen, kids, my word is going to do what I want it to, to, to do and succeed in the things that I sent it to succeed in. Listen, God's word provides what is desperately needed. Imagine those in exile not sitting on the green hills of, of Israel, but they're now sitting in the sandy deserts of Babylon. God is speaking to them about snow and rain and how he sends it for their own good. And you can imagine those Israelites thinking of the 20, 30, 40 years previous when they sat on the beautiful, lush grass of Judah and how cool that grass felt. And they had not touched cool, damp grass for decades. And they begin to lick their dry lips as they read this and they begin to desire that cool rain that would wash this constant dust and it would refresh them and bring color to the grass and it would encourage the wheat to finally sprout and bear a crop again. Can you imagine not being around water for all of these decades? And now God is saying, my word is like rain. In the first part, of this chapter, there's a wonderful passage that invites the exiles to come and enjoy the blessing. He, the, the writer says, come all who is thirsty, come to the waters and you, and who have not, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. He was speaking of this life-giving nature of his word, Right? And then he says, God's word, my word, accomplishes what I delight in. God's word will have none of the silliness the Israelites were moaning about. God's word does not just scrape by, barely eking out God's will, hardly overcoming the evil one, not even a little bit. The Hebrew in the second half of verse 11 is quite expressive. It literally translated, God's word shall accomplish what I delight in and cause to prosper the things for which I sent it. It's very clear. 
The promise that God's word will bring about God's delight reminds us of Jesus' baptism. From the heavens it was declared, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am delighted. And Isaiah then basically asks, what then is the natural response to such a powerful, wonderful, and delightful word? What is our, what is our natural response to a God who speaks like that? And then he says, my people will march out with celebration and peace. Imagine the context of the Israelites listening to this word. They were currently in slave labor. They were in pain, suffering, chains, homesickness. They were dealing with a strange language. Religious laws that squelched any sort of freedom of worshiping the one true God. And God, through Isaiah, sang these words to them. Words of comfort and hope. And can I just encourage you, listen with a slave's ear. He says, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace, with peace. Mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You've probably heard that lilting Hebrew song using those same words. You now know why they sing that song with such joy. Can you imagine the slaves' ears hearing that they will go out with joy and sing with peace and the fields will clap, their trees will clap their hands. Don't you know that was just a, a wonderful picture of joy that was promised to them? Reminds me of that Christmas song that Isaac Watts wrote for us that we sing every year, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let I, let us our songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. That's what Isaiah was saying. And in this passage, God speaks joy to the enslaved. God promises celebration where there was a funeral procession. God promises freedom where there has been bondage. And God promises singing where there has been moaning. He also says, my name will be praised forever. In verse 13, this will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. And remember, this is the last verse of a letter that has been written to the exiles. So it goes from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 55. It should be seen as one letter. And now the last sentence of this letter to the exiles says, This 
will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Can you hear that with a slave's ear? He has spent 15 chapters telling them how God's promises will come true. Can I ask you to do something maybe a little bit odd, maybe not? Could I just ask you each just to close your ears? Uh, <laughs> close your eyes, open your ears. Close your eyes and, stand, and just sit there as a slave might. Just close your eyes and hear these words as the slave. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever, Isaiah says. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like the eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint, Isaiah says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you, slave, with my righteous right hand, Isaiah says. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. They will, you when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, O Israel, your Savior, Isaiah says. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland, he says. And the last thing, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. You could open your eyes now. Can you imagine hearing those words as a slave, a promise of a future, a hope, a peace that is coming, that God's presence is near even when they are not free to worship back home, that God is just as active and is just as alert and is just as close while they were in exile as when they were home in Israel to call any of us an exile or a slave would totally be an overstatement. But my guess is that most of us have been where the Israelites were 
questioning. We've doubted. Perhaps we're hoping for something in the future. Maybe even looking for that which is still yet fulfilled. Maybe even in spiritual bondage. But I'm confident that Isaiah 55 is for us too. God is saying to each one of us the same thing. My word is true. My promises will be fulfilled. And I will delight in the fulfillment of my covenant for you. Would you please stand? Darla and I grew up in a small holiness denomination called the Church of God Holiness. Its theology is almost exactly like the Church of the Nazarene, but it was, it was and still is a much smaller denomination. In our churches, it was not uncommon for people to get blessed and start shouting and praising God and waving their hands in celebration as they are testifying during a song service or testimony service, tears running down their, their cheeks. It was just a wonderful opportunity to see adults celebrating God. While in our college, we went to a, a, uh, a large holiness conference called the Inner Holiness uh, Conference at IHC, and thousands of believers would gather in this basketball arena in Daytona uh, in uh, where? Daytona? Dayton, Ohio. A little bit different than Daytona. And in this basketball uh, arena, thousands of people would be celebrating and praising God. And people would sometimes get much more physical. And I, I remember old brother Serbrook. <laughs> he, he was an elderly gentleman. And for some reason, he just, he would get shouting happy is what we call it. He'd run back and forth around the aisles, and he would just be praising the Lord and crying and, and waving his arms. And sometimes he would even come down to the front where there was potted plants, and he would get a potted plant, and he'd put it on his head sometimes, and he'd just go back and forth praising the Lord. I don't know why he needed a potted plant to do that. But he was just so happy. He was just wanting to celebrate and praise the Lord. So, John, if you want to come up and grab a potted plant, put it on your head. I'm, I'm glad for you not to, to be honest. <laughs> Old Brother Serbrook just wanted to celebrate God. There was a genuineness in his heart. I'm not suggesting that you need to find a potted plant and start shouting, but perhaps... It's time for us to begin looking at the promises of God and realizing that if God said it, he means it. Listen, if God said it, he means it. If God made a promise, he will fulfill it in his time not in yours, in his time. If God promised freedom, you 
will march out in peace. And the last thing that I've constantly seen is that God, listen, God always is looking at the big picture. And God is playing the long game. You know what I mean? God is always looking at the big picture. He's bringing resources. He knows the future. He knows our heart. He knows where he will intersect. He knows to bring certain people in at certain times as he's looking at the end goal for our lives. My friends, we, we see and play the short game really well. You know what I mean, football fans. We know we're looking right here. We know what we're feeling, the gut punch of what he said to us or, or the conflict that we're dealing with or that bill that is due tomorrow and we don't know. And so we are, we are living right here. But God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe and he's in charge of all things and is all-knowing and is all-powerful and is all-present and he has seen this whole thing come together. And can I tell you those in exile, if he said it, he means it. And if he's promised peace, and if he's promised forgiveness, and if he's promised resolve, stand on the word of God, because he will fulfill it. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord.
Would you receive this benediction? For you shall go out with joy and, be and will be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all of the trees of the field shall clap your hands. And so now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace, for he's already gone before you. You're dismissed.